Samuel today. For those of you that are just joining us for the first time, we've been going through 1 Samuel for about a year. We're finishing up 1 Samuel today. We will start 2 Samuel next week. It was written as one book. We're just going to stick with it because I want to get into the life of David. Amen? Uh, Let's pray. Let's pray for the message real quick. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you would use this word to change us, to challenge us, and to convict us. Fathers, we've come into this place. We, we need you to speak to us, directly to us, God. And so, Father, I pray that you would use this word to do just that, that we would leave here different because of you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. For Samuel 31, now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from, be- from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchizua, Saul's sons. The battle became became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust, thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on, took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and, who, and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to, the, to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it, it in the temple of their idols... And among the people, then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashereths, and they fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. And when the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Beth Shan. And they came to Jabesh and burned him there. Then they took their bones and buried them underneath the tamarisk tree and fasted seven days. Do not tell me that the Bible's a boring book. It's not. Like, you get your nose in this thing, it's a, it's a page turner. Uh, quick recap. We're going to recap the, the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to talk about the life of Saul, what's happening in this story. Saul is the king of Israel. David's the soon-to-be king of Israel. <clears throat> in this story, we see the culmination of Saul's life, and then he goes into battle, and he gets wounded with arrows, and then he's like, I don't want these guys to treat me poorly. So he asks his armor bearer, hey, would you kill me? The guy's like, no way, I'm not going to do that. So Saul kills himself, armor bearer kills himself, his sons die. Everybody's dead. The people that beat him come in, they find him, and they're like, hey, let's strip him off of his armor. Let's cut his head off. They stripped his armor, they cut his head off, they take him to the temple of their false god, and then they're there, and they're like, yay, we got Saul. And then these guys hear about it, and they're like, wait, they got our guy. So then they go down, and then they get Saul's stuff back, and then they fast for seven days. Um, What are we talking about this morning? Um, Saul's life did not end well. (laughs) For a guy that was supposed to be king of Israel, this is not the way a king is supposed to die. Uh, this book should have end, uh, ended in such a way that, that Saul had gotten old in his years and he was passing off uh, the, the crown to David and, and it would be a, a smooth transition of power and that all the people would weep because of the great man that Saul had been his entire life and rejoicing for the man that he had been. But no, the end of Saul's life was not a good end. 
And as we walked through 1 Samuel, we have watched this story of Saul's life of, of disobedience and rebellion and all these other things. And the application for us this morning is this. As a Christian, you want to end well. You do not want your life to be a cautionary tale. You, you do not want one day for the end of your life to be uh, not in a, in a good way that people talk about your life and say, don't end up like that guy. You don't want that to be your life at all. And so as we're going to walk through a recap of Saul's life in the end, I want you to be thinking in the back of your mind, I want to end well. And, and if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I guarantee you it's not going to end well for you. And so my challenge to you this morning would be to, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So at the end of this message, when I ask you if you want to give your life to Jesus, you can be assured of the fact that you will end well. Amen? Amen. The problem with many Christians is they have a goal identity, goal identity instead of a grow identity. Um, you will never arrive as a Christian. There's never a point where you're like, that's it. I read the Bible. Uh, you never get to a point where you're like, I went to church. Uh, you know, I did that. Like, it doesn't work that way at all. The, the Christian life is a continual life of growing in who you are in Christ Jesus. It's not a, I'm just going to do it every once in a while. It is a continual track record of moving forward in Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Amen? We cannot become complacent. We cannot um, uh, say to ourselves it doesn't matter how we live and it doesn't matter what we do with our lives. It completely matters what you do with your life. It completely matters how you live. And we're going to see this in the life of Saul. So let's get into this. Now here's the question that I want to ask is uh, do, do we see Saul's life improving over time or do we see Saul's life being destroyed over time? Because if you look at the whole entire story and the trajectory, Saul's life was not one of like going like this. Saul's life was going like like this. Now at the beginning of Saul uh, in 1 Samuel 9 17, um, God chose him to lead the people of Israel. 1 Samuel 9 17. There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. God chose Saul to be king. God changed him in 1 Samuel 10 6. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. God chose Saul and then he changed him into a completely different man. And then God gave him a new heart for Samuel 10, 9. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. And also God spoke through Saul for Samuel 10, 11. And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that indeed he prophesied through the prophets. This is very important to understand a baseline of Saul's life so we can talk about his destruction. God chose him to be the king of Israel. He chose him. He said, I'm going to make you king. And then God changed him. He changed who he was by the power of his spirit. And then God gave him another heart. So what he desired and who he was changed. And then God used him spiritually and mightily and used him as a prophet of God to speak through him. If you don't know what prophecy is, it's when God speaks to a person, the person speaks and it's God himself speaking. So God used Saul in a mighty, mighty way. Do you agree with me? Yes. So God chooses him, change him, give him a new heart, and God speaks through him. And those are some spiritual things. It's mightily. Now, I'm trying to draw a parallel here, and we'll get there. God does the same thing in a believer's life. 
God chooses us, God changes us, God gives us a new heart, and God uses us. He uses us for His glory. The trajectory of the Christian life is the same. God chooses us, God changes us, God uh, uh, gives us a new heart, and then God uses us. It's the exact same trajectory of a Christian life. Would would you believe and know this morning that God doesn't do anything new? It's all been the same over thousands of years. The same God of Genesis is the same God of Revelation, everything in between. Just different, different times in different ways, but it's the exact same thing. When you live for Jesus, the promises of God are yea and amen. The promises to the believer in Jesus Christ is that he would choose you, save you, change you, give you a new heart, and then, change, and then use you. And God promises if you come to him that he will forgive you of all sin, that he will make you new, that he will give you new life, that you will get peace, that you will get joy, that you will get love. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And all these are reconciled to Christ Jesus who has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That's a different sermon. How many of you people noticed that we chopped down the trees in the parking lot? Glory. Some of the tree lovers are like... Why did you cut down a tree? Why? Because the book of Jeremiah said that they started to worship the trees and the rocks. And we don't want you to become that. Hallelujah. Chop those things down. Don't learn to worship them. We also may have chopped them down because every time we had to do a parking lot repair from those buggers, it cost us ten dollars to $20,000. And so it's a whole lot cheaper to just chop them down and just be done with them. Uh, Pastor Jeremy doesn't have to clean up the leaves uh, all winter long. <laughs> we don't have to worry about slipping and tripping and all that other stuff. And it looks nice and clean. It's really nice. Um, here's the other part of it that I realized as I was working on this sermon is that if you think about those trees, they'd been there for many, many years. And, and we cut down the trees. They took these chippers and they chipped up all the limbs. They cut up all the logs. Men came from all over because we gave away the, the, the wood for free for people to go and burn it. We will never be able to go and grab those trees, put them back together and put them in our parking lot. That's right. They've been utterly and completely destroyed. We cut them. They, they're gone. It's a word picture of your life in Christ. Like when you come to Jesus, he completely destroys the old man. Amen. He chops it up. He destroys it. You, you can never go back to being that person again. And so every time you come into the parking lot, you're like, what happened to those trees? You think to yourself, what happened to the old me? He's been destroyed. He's gone. He's never coming back. I'm a new creation in Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a promise of scripture. A promise of scriptures, Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The promise to the believer in Jesus Christ is that he'll make you a new man and that he will give you a new heart. Amen? Same thing that happened with Saul is the same thing that happens with us. God removes the old man and makes us a new man and gives us a new heart. Now, let's look at some of the negative aspects of Saul's life. It's a little bit of a different story. Because what happened in Saul's life, um, and, and this happens in believers' lives as well, is that he started to believe that he was above correction. Yep. He started to believe that he was above a rebuke. Uh, he started to believe that he was above destruction. You know, he started to believe his own press clippings. He thought, you know what, I'm king. What could happen to me? I'm in charge and I, I hold all the power, so I'm going to do what I'm going to do because I'm king. He had forgot who made him king. Amen. Yes. He, 
he forgot that it was God that called him, that God had changed him. And so at the end of his life, this is the end of his life. This is a cautionary tale of what happens when you live a life of pride and you forget the fact that Jesus Christ saved you. Amen. Now I understand you say, well, Jesus Christ didn't save, uh, didn't save Saul. Well, if you believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, he was there in the beginning in the book of Genesis. Yeah. Yeah. Same Jesus, same God, same Holy Spirit. Yeah. He changed him. Amen. The big question is what leads up to this level of destruction? How how do you go from being God's chosen, God's uh, mouthpiece, God's ruler, to now your own men won't mercy kill you as they should have done to save their king? And they're like, dude, we're not even going to help you. This this is on you. You want to live life to yourself? This is is your just reward. And then they they take his his armor. They take his head. They use him uh, like as a prop and say like, this is how worthless the king of Israel is, is that we're going to take him into a temple of a false god. Saul was chosen as king, but he gave himself over to hatred. He gave himself over to jealousy and to murder. And if you look at his life in the book of 1 Samuel, most of it is characterized by rebellion and disobedience. He's a a very cautionary tale. I I was in the U.S. Army and I, and I, uh, uh, when I was stationed at Fort Hood, I remember Crystal and I used to go and we'd work out at the first cavalry gym. And uh, when you go to the gym after work, you're usually wearing your BDUs. You've got, we called it a blouse, and then you got your uh, pants, and then you got an undershirt underneath. And so when you go, you can take off your blouse so you can work out. And it's just kind of like a, a rankless environment. You're just, every person's a person, and you're just working out. So I remember I was there, and I'm doing some tricep extensions, and this guy's there, and we're kind of swapping out. And I'm like, this guy's kind of old. And I'm like, so, hey, what's your name? He's like, ah, oh, they just call me Bernsey. And I'm like, okay. And uh, so I ended up getting deployed shortly after that. And I went to Bosnia. Come to find out Bernsey was the two-star general of the 1st Cavalry Division that I was doing tricep extensions with. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you know much about the military. If you've got stars on your head, you're like a demigod, right? I mean, you just like do whatever you want. And, and, and so, you know, this guy, I mean, he was a, he was a strong leader. We went... First Cav, he was the highest ranking uh, military leader in theater uh, as a second star, as a two-star general. And he was a soldier soldier, man. Guys would flock to him and just want to talk to him. He was really good with the soldiers and uh, very approachable. And the trajectory of his career was awesome after that. He went from two-star to three-star to four-star. He ended up going to uh, Washington, D.C. And he was, dude, he was in. Like, he was making this stuff happen. He was a great, great general leader. Um, until he started sleeping with his assistant. Um, the, uh, the military really frowns on that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and so he went from four-star general to you're nothing and you get nothing. Um, I don't know if you know this. If you're a four-star general and you get a retirement, it's probably somewhere in the $10,000 range per month. Um, he lost it all. He, he, he doesn't get anything. He is nothing. He gets nothing for all of his years of military service. Uh, why do I share that story with you? The, the trajectory of a, of a man that believes that he's uh, more important than his title loses sight of what, what he's supposed to be doing with his title. It's a cautionary tale, but the parallel is no different than King Saul. Is that King Saul was on this great trajectory. Honestly, I think a king of Israel is more powerful than a four-star general. But his life has become a cautionary tale. 
See, I, I, I want to know how you go from 1 Samuel 9, 17. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. And then the Lord said, six chapters later in 1 Samuel 15, 11, God said, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. This dude's life was so horrible that God himself was sad that he put him in the king position. How does that happen? How do you go from king of Israel to the creator of the universe looking at you and going like, dang it. Why did I do this? Why did I set this guy up? I mean, God, God even stopped talking to him in 1 Samuel 28, 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. And now this is his life. He totally disobeyed God in 1 Samuel 15. He broke the law of God by stepping in and acting like a priest in 1 Samuel 13. He spent time with evil spirits. He had an extended amount of time where he murdered, uh, where murder reigned in his heart towards uh, David, the soon-to-be king. He even tried to murder his own son. He murdered a bunch of priests. He wasn't obedient to God. Saul was not a great dude. He just wasn't. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11... He's not even mentioned as, uh, and if you know Hebrews 11, it's the hall of faith, uh, the hall of fame, man. And he's not even mentioned in there. Samson's mentioned there and he's not. I mean, he's completely forgotten. He's, he's, a, he's just become a, a cautionary tale. No references outside of 1 Samuel where Saul is referenced in a positive light. Every time he's referenced, it's like, and Saul was dead. And then they just moved on. I mean, even, even, and we're going to get into David in the coming weeks, even David, as he's mentioned after his death, they give him a little asterisk. I'm like, and David had a heart after God, except for that thing with Bathsheba. Uh, I mean, they, they, they still mention him. Uh, he gets a mention, but Saul, I, I looked for it. I couldn't find it. You can correct me if you find one. I could never find a good reference of Saul. It was like, and Saul was dead. And then they moved on. Saul was so deceived that he didn't even know that God wasn't with him anymore. The slippery slope of sin pulled him away from his calling in his life of God. And this is what happens. Like people don't set out like, I'm going to end my life. I'm going to go in destruction. What happens is that you're going like this and there's like a a little tiny degree of of change. And then a tiny degree of change over time just goes like this, right? And it completely changes the trajectory of your life. So I have struggled with my weight my uh, entire life. I, uh, from junior high on, I've just been up and down in sports and military and everything else. And when I got out of the military, man, I swore to God and everything holy that I was never going to work out ever again. uh, And I was going to eat whatever I want. And I did, man. It was so good. Uh, I got out in 2003. I swore I'd never exercise again. The military has a way of doing that. It just kind of takes the joy out of stuff. Um, And so that year, it was 2003. I went from about, I think when I got out of the military, I was just under 230. And then I, by Thanksgiving, I was was rocking in the 270s. Like I was on my way. And um, I I got out of the military and my pants were like a 38. And then by then, they were like a 42. And I remember me and Chris were going away for Thanksgiving. And we ended up down at old JCPenney at at the South... At the South Center Mall. And uh, where are my people at? All right. We're at South Center. And 
so we're looking for pants and um, uh, the 42s were starting to like, eh. And so I was like, I'm going 44s. And so I, uh, I, we were at JCPenney literally for like an hour, hour and a half because trying to find a 44, 34 is not an easy task. Uh, but I, by the grace of God, I found a pair. I did. It took about an hour and a half. And we're, I remember we're up there in JCPenney and and I remember I, I was so excited when I found these pants. I came and told Chris, I said, honey, look, I found these 44s. We can go. Thanksgiving. So I could, they had the little extendos on the side. I was ready to go. You know what I mean? And so I remember I, we were standing right by the checkout. And, 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 and Crystal looks at me and she says, do you really want to do this? I said, you know it. 44s, let's go. No, she said, no, I'm asking you, do you really want to go there? And I, gosh. Well, I knew exactly what she meant, man. Because 40s to 42s to 44s turned into 46s. I took those pants, I slammed them on the ground. I said, let's go, we're leaving. We had a long drive back to Covington in the car. I don't think we talked much that day. But one thing did happen. I never went up to 44s. I'm, I'm in 36s now. And, and, and it's, it's because my wife ask me those questions. Do you really want to do that? And the truth is in my heart, I don't. But because someone that loves you enough, challenges you enough to say, I'm noticing that you're not catching that you're turning into another direction. Make, make no mistake, folks. This isn't a funny story about how Pastor Matt got fat. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is your sinful life that will change by one degree of second. Sec- and then you're in the size, whatever, you know, sin pants. That's the story, okay? It's not a health and fitness story. It's a sin story, amen? You guys picking up what I'm dropping? Saul didn't set a limit. He didn't notice the trend. He didn't respond to rebukes. There, there, was, no, there was no repentance at the end of Saul's life. Do you notice that? This was a moment that right before he died, he could have called out to God and said, God, forgive me. I've done you wrong. But no, his pride followed him all the way to the end. All the way to the end, his pride followed him. Folks, since Genesis, the only thing that has pleased God is righteousness by faith, is believing God. And the big question is, and the question that you're, you're asking yourself, if Saul fell away from serving God, what about us? Because God is not a respecter of persons. That's what it says. Now, I don't know where you're at, but for me, I don't believe in once saved, always saved. I just don't believe in that. I don't believe that the Bible teaches that. And I'm going to share with you a handful of scriptures to to prove to you that it is possible to fall away into disrepair and end poorly. End poorly. Beginning of the sermon, we want to end well. We don't want to end bad. Saul's life, he started on a path of destruction and didn't notice it. Our lives, we want to stay on a clear path, growing in God and keep ourselves from destruction. Watch all these verses. Matthew 24, 11. <clears throat> Jesus. The many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. You can't depart from something you didn't have. It doesn't say some will never come to the faith. It says some will depart from the faith. Meaning you were in the faith and then you departed from the faith. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Hebrews chapter 6. 
verses 4 through 6. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age uh, age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. That's what the word says. Hebrews 3.12 Beware, brethren, church, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. You can't depart from somewhere that you're not already at. Revelation 2.5 Remember therefore where you have fallen. Jesus speaking. Repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 2 Peter chapter 2 For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ they are again entangled in them and overcome the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than have known it it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to a true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire. Jesus, John 15, 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, which one of these do you think that Saul was living in? Do you think that Saul was living in the grace of God, or he had departed from the living God? Departed. Departed. Like, I, I don't know how you can read the scriptures and say that he didn't. He, he changed the trajectory of his life. He, he changed the way that he was living for the Lord. Did Saul abide? No. Did he depart? Yes. Did he have an evil heart? Yes. Did he repent? No. He's not ending well. He lost all of his sons. He lost his kingship. He died in battle. And his life is a cautionary tale to the believer of how not to end well. We want to end well. Don't, don't believe that your life is above destruction. Don't believe that somehow you're, you're magically going to just end up there someday. It's not true at all. I've been serving God for almost 30 years. I've been a pastor for 16 years. And I've seen the path of destruction. And it starts slowly. It starts very slowly. It's just a tiny little degree that people move another way. And they start to begin to tell themselves lies. Like, well, I'm saved by my faith. And um, I've got this other thing. And they're completely living contrary to the scriptures. And it turns into a life that's completely devoid of God. Where just like Saul, the spirit departs. And God no longer speaks. And they don't even realize it. Yes. The life of Saul should challenge us. And again, I always want to, I give you guys a little bit of grace. It's not one afternoon of destruction, okay? You're good. It's just a lifestyle, man. Like we all, like, I'm not going to stand up here and be like, well, you know, in 16 years of being your pastor, I've never sinned. I have sinned, okay? It happens. It happens to all of us. There's a constant battle in the flesh in in our lives. But there's a huge difference between living in sin and struggling with sin. There's a huge difference between I'm, 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 I'm getting there versus I'm staying there. There's a huge difference. And so how do, how do we protect ourselves from that? Well, the G, Jesus spoke to us in his word, so we're able to see it. It's in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall, we, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, leave this up here, depart from me, ye, you who practice lawlessness. These are the two keys. You have got to know Jesus and not practice lawlessness. If you want to make, just if you want to make heaven, if you, if you don't want to make heaven, it doesn't apply. But if you do want to make heaven and you want to end well, you want to stay in an abiding relationship where you know Jesus and Jesus knows you and you don't want to practice lawlessness. And again, it's the huge distinction and difference between I'm, I'm, I'm celebrating my sin and I'm struggling with my sin. I still have sins that I struggle with on a daily basis, but I don't look at them like, well, God, this is just who I am. This is who I'm going to be. No, I say, God, root these things out of me. I want to honor you with my life. I need your help. Thank you, Lord. You know him through an abiding relationship with him. When you worship and you fellowship and you have discipleship, and when you serve and when you give and you live in him, he is your life. He's what you think about. This, this following Jesus is an all or nothing proposition. It's not some halfway like, oh, I'm going to sprinkle a little bit of Jesus on it. It's not a like, well, you know, I raised my hand one time when I was a kid. And my, the, the, the funny people always say to me, oh, are you a Christian? Well, my grandpa was a preacher. I didn't ask if your grandpa was a preacher. Are you saved? Are you walking with Jesus? Yeah. Not a part of your life. He is your life. Yeah. It's when you're consumed with the things of God. Yes. And I get very frustrated with people and they, they say things like, oh, you're such a zealot. What else can you be? Yeah. Right. Yeah. What, what, what is you supposed to be, man? I was, saved, I was saved from my sin. I was saved from my destruction. He set me free from the law of sin and death. Yeah. How can I not live for him? How can I not give him my whole life? He did everything for me on the cross and I'm just going to give him my leftovers? You got to be kidding me, man. No way. We struggle with sin, but you can't practice lawlessness. You can't practice it. You can't celebrate it. I always like to use the Bible because I I want you, if you're going to get upset, get upset with the word of God. Don't get upset with the guy that's reading it. Amen. First Corinthians chapter six, continual unrepentant sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8. No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren in the church. Do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Amen. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators. And I have to describe this. It's people that have relations outside of marriage. Nor idolaters, people that worship, thing, worship things other than God. Idolatry is a very sticky one because people say, well, I don't go to some false temple. I just, you know, worship my television in the shopping mall. Worship myself. Nor adulterers, people that have relations outside of their marriage relationship. Nor homosexuals, people that have same-sex relationships. Sodomites, same thing. Thieves, people that steal. Nor covetous. Covetousness is an act of the heart. People say, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. And there's things that you do in your heart and mind that will keep you out of heaven. Covetedness, nor drunkards. Getting drunk will keep you out of heaven. Revilers, partiers, extortioners, people that manipulate other people to get their own way. Well, I'm not running a racket. I'm not taking from the guy at the store. But are you extorting people with your manipulative emotions? We'll inherit the kingdom of God. Watch this, verse 11. And such were some of you. That's who we are supposed to be. We don't walk around, and this is, man, I'm about to preach. This is the problem with people that want to identify with their sin. They say, well, you know, I'm this. I'm like, no, you are not. I'm a same-sex attracted Christian. No, you're not. Kill that thing, man. That's not of God. 
Thought, thoughts and, and desires will keep you out of heaven. You can't merely say the action itself is what keeps me out of heaven. God cares about our thoughts and our desires just as much as he cares about our actions. So how do we stay out of there, man? How do we, how do we make sure that we're, we're where God wants us to be? Again, the Bible shows us a way. 1 Timothy chapter 4. I already read this first, but we'll read it again. Verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith. Folks, there's a reason why the Bible has a word called apostasy. It's because the word means that there's people that were following Jesus that were falling away. And you see, even in the news now, these uh, mega church people and songwriters that are falling away. Yeah. There's people that, that, I was a pastor for 20 years and then I fell away. Yeah. I don't believe it anymore. Giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word and God in prayer. Now, how do, you, how do you keep yourself from departing from the faith? Folks, you have to have good doctrine. Yes. You've got to have good doctrine. That's why people say, well, I feel like you preach the same thing over and over. We're a growing church. New people need to hear this. But old people need to hear it too so we don't fall into disrepair. We're in this information age where people are on the radio and on TV and on the internet and videos. And they send me like, well, this sounds good. But does it line up with the word of God? Because a little bit of, uh, of direction change and all of a sudden you're believing lies from the pit of hell because someone's holding a Bible. Don't believe it. Don't fall into giving over to, to, to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Because what happens is, verse 2, your conscience gets seared with a hot iron. Because that, that's the hardest part about bad doctrine. When you get bad doctrine in your head, your brain becomes seared. And so even when someone's trying to put good doctrine in you, you resist it because you've got bad doctrine that has made your mind think a certain way. You've got to be very protective about what you read and what you watch and who you listen to. I, I have pastor friends that someone will give me a book and be like, hey, you got to read this. And I'm on a pastor's group on Facebook. I'll put it out to 15 pastors. Like, hey, have you guys heard of this guy? Should I even read this book? And it was like, no, 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 no. I'm like, that's going in the fire. Like, I'm not going to waste my time. I'm going to trust the men of God around me that I know that are in good doctrine. I'm not just going to think because, you know, it comes through my Facebook feed that it's good stuff. Because here, here's what happens is that when you give over to spirits and doctrines of demons and, and you get your conscience seared, verse 3 becomes the culmination of it, you turn into a legalist. You turn into a legalist where Christianity starts to be rules instead of relationship. Where, where, you, where you end up thinking like, well, I go to church, I'm saved, I give, I saved, and, 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 and oh, I, I, I said this, and I did this, whatever, and it, and it ceases to become a relationship with God. Going to church does not save you. Right. Giving doesn't save you. Serving doesn't save you. None of that saves you. It, it matters what you wear in the sense that, like, please, cover up your bodies. Yeah. But, like, what, what you wear is not what saves you. Not even how you act is what saves you. Yeah. you. You can live a life where you're like, well, I didn't do that, I didn't do this, I didn't do this, so I'm saved. That's not how this thing works at all. You are saved by Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and that alone. Yeah. That's it. 
He did everything on the cross. It's, it's not in your court at all. And I understand when I preach a sermon like this, and someone will be like, well, I don't understand because it sounds like you're putting it all on us. That's a doctrine of demons right there. I'm not putting it on you. What I'm saying is he has done 100% of it, but if we don't stay in his 100%, we can drift away. There's, there's a verse here that I want to I share with you, and it's in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Watch this, because we're going to put them both together. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what we're talking about. Working out your salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to be involved in the process. But watch this. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. The two go together. You cannot, walk, you cannot work on your own salvation on your own because it's God himself that is working inside of you because it is his will and it is his power that he wants to work it out in you, but you have to work it with him. Amen? Yeah. It's not 100% you. It's not. But you've got to get on the bus. Amen? Yeah. Like, you, you, you've got to get the Bible in front of you. You've got to choose when the thought comes in to not hold on to it. You've got to choose to not go and do that action. You've got to choose to not give yourself over to that. You've got to choose when you get a check in your spirit and the preacher is preaching something and it touches you and you get upset that you respond to the prick of the Holy Spirit and say that's from God. I'm going to change that. Because right. I want to honor God with my life. Amen? The Bible says we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. We must not allow our minds to be uh, open. We can't allow ourselves to not be rebuked by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I understand that a lot of times the, 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 the word will convict. I come here on Wednesday nights and these preachers are banging on me all the time. I said to Jay, I said to Jay on Wednesday, I was like, was that about me? And he was like, no, no, no. I said, because if it's about me, you didn't have to write a whole sermon about me. You just talk to me about it. Because I want to be convicted. I want the Holy Spirit to be like, that, that, don't let that be you. Because I don't want it to be me, man. I want to honor God with my life. Finally, you've got to stay in the word in prayer. Verse 5, so it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Folks, when you stay in the word in prayer, you know good doctrine so you don't get led astray by deceiving spirits or doctrines of demons. And I understand people come down here and hear, hear my preaching. I'm like, I don't like that preaching. I'm okay. <clears throat> Probably not going to like your Bible either. Um, but but I, I, I care very little if I'm judged by you. I care more than I'm judged by him. Yeah. And, and, and so if it hurts and it stings, praise God. Yeah. And say, Lord, thank you. Because I want to end well. I want to end well. I, I, want, I, I, don't, I don't want a preacher to have to stand up at my death and have to tell lies. Yeah. I, I want them to be able to stand up and say, well done, good and faithful yeah. servant. Yeah. And it's not, about it's not about perfection, friend. It's not that at all. It's about walking an abiding relationship yeah. with Jesus. He'll do it. You just got to hold his hand. Amen? Yeah. Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're not a Christian this morning, I want to invite you to become one. It's, it's, it's hard and it's easy at the same time. You know if you're a Christian, man. You know it. But you also know if you're not. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, you know what? I need, to, I need to follow God, man. I need to walk away from this life that I'm living. You've been waiting for that moment where you'd say, man, I, I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be set free. I want to 
I want to live for Jesus. And I'm, not ta- and, I, and I'm not talking about a superstitious, like, hey, I said it once. I'm talking about a directional life change where you say, I am done living the way that I was living. And I'm going to live the Jesus way. I'm going to be forgiven. I'm going to walk with him. And if you've never made that decision before, you need to do that for the very first time today. We want to pray with you. I want to ask you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I need to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the very first time? Hand held high. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Or maybe you've been far from God and you're like, man, I, I don't know how I ended up here, but I'm far away from him. I'm on that path. I can see it. Like I, man, I don't, and today's the day where you're convicted and you're like, man, I, I can see my life ending that way because I'm not following God. I'm, I've let things into my life that I didn't mean to let in. And I, and, and, and you've been far away. I'm not talking about, remember, I always say this, you didn't have a bad week. I'm talking years, man, you've been gone from God and you've been waiting for a time to come back to him. We want to pray with you today as well. Is there anybody that needs to rededicate their life to Jesus today? Hand held high. Let us pray with you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Now for the rest of us, our prayer simply should be, Lord, keep us. Father, guide me. God, Father, continue to convict me. If there, if there even be just a little bit that you don't like about me, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help me to change it, God. I want to know you and I do not want to practice lawlessness. I want to end well. I want my life to be pleasing to you. Father, I pray that for all of us this morning, Father, myself included. God, just convict me, Lord. Convict me if there's things inside of me that aren't of you. Convict me if there's things that you don't want for me. And God, I pray that swiftly, 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 I would repent of it and move away from it, God, because I want to honor you with my life. God, I I know that you love me, and I know that you and I are are in an abiding relationship. But if there's going to be a problem in this relationship, God, it's going to be me. It's not going to be you. And so I pray that I would forever be in your will, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand up with me?